All right, guys, welcome back to our teaching in the book of Philippians. Now, the last time we were here, we were dealing with that first section in chapter one that dealt with Paul's salutation to the Philippians. That is, hello, how are you doing? And Paul's identification of himself. Now, there were a couple of things that we did talk about in a kind of a, like a preamble in a sense, laying somewhat of a looking forward to foundation in certain of the themes of Paul's letter. And one of those was to consider others more important than yourselves. And we can see this when Paul addressed himself simply as Paul, the slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. But nevertheless, he addressed the Philippians by their official titles to the bishops and the deacons. So in the sense, you can see Paul's lowering, or should we say the humbling of himself and the, in a sense, the exaltation of others, laying that foundation of what? Considering others more than yourself. And then we also saw the same thing of uh, the issue about not so much as the humility uh, that Paul desires for the Philippians to have, but the sincerity. And that's what's about to link us into this next section of teaching as we uh, finish chapter one. And that is Paul was thankful for their salvation. And he also wanted them to grow in the true knowledge of their salvation and the depths of their relationship with Jesus but he wanted them to be pure and blameless. And we talked about that word uh, last time, elecranes, and I enjoyed that word. That word which we understand to be pure, which deals with the motives, the reasons for why they do what they do, or in this sense, this contextual sense, why they live the way they live. And Paul kept saying what? looking forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus. That is looking unto the day of Christ, looking to the day when they, the Philippians, will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. Thus, he desires, and they should also desire, to stand with purity of heart, purity of their motives for why they did, how they lived, purity and blameless before the Lord Jesus Christ, he who will be the judge. Okay, enough of that. Now we prepare to continue on with chapter one. We should be able to finish all of this, I believe, in a single video. But let's keep this mindset going because that is a, a, a mindset that's threading what the apostle Paul is talking about here. The mindset of the purity, okay, the purity. But now let's just simply get into verses 12 and finish the rest of the chapter. And we'll also talk about another of Paul's uh, primary reason for the letter to the Philippians, okay? Verse 12. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Okay, 
So now, and this is what we just talked about earlier, Paul also lets us know another of his primary reasons for writing this letter to the Philippians, and that is to give them an update on how he was doing. But as Paul talks about his well-being, in other words, you know, in other words, we remember Paul was in Roman imprisonment. He was imprisoned by the Romans. Okay. He is not, it doesn't particularly seem that he is in Rome, but he is nevertheless under the guard of the Roman soldiers. And that's why he makes mention of the Praetorian Guard, which are Roman soldiers. But with this same mindset, he's in prison. He wants to let them know, the Philippians, he's doing okay. So what is he doing here? He is letting them know about his personal situation. We remember that Paul was imprisoned under Roman authority. And that's why he gives a reference to the Praetorian Guard. And so you can understand quite naturally if he's imprisoned, people will want to know, the Philippians, how he is doing. So he is simply saying, I'm doing fine. But instead of so much as drawing the attention to himself, he draws the attention, or should I say, he puts forward the attention to the gospel. And what does he say? that my circumstances, even though it is not a good situation, nevertheless, God has worked in these situations to the progress of the gospel so that the Praetorian guards, the guards who are literally guarding me and all those who are involved in my imprisonment, they have heard the reasons for my imprisonment, that is, for the sake of Christ for the gospel of Christ. And thus, indirectly, what is happening? The gospel of Christ is spreading even to the Roman guards or even to those who may be involved or have knowledge of my imprisonment. That is what? Verse number 13, Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian guard and everyone else. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, even though... So, we understand that thing about the sovereignty of God and how, oh man, I, I don't want to get into it. I, I almost feel led to get into it. How Paul was constantly, that's the book of Acts, Acts chapters, what is that, 18 through 21. Uh, Paul was constantly being warned about going back to Jerusalem and that he would end up being arrested and being brought under uh, these Roman guards. But anyway, but the point is, God has sovereignly worked to bring the gospel by virtue of Paul being imprisoned to other people, that is, the Roman soldiers. So it is God's intent. It was God's working in bringing Paul into imprisonment to bring the gospel to another audience, an audience that Paul may not have had an opportunity to reach. God is reaching this particular audience through Paul's imprisonment. And who is that audience? The Praetorian God. As Paul would later on say, God desires to save all types of men. That's in 1 Timothy. But anyway, and then he says what? Another benefit of Paul's imprisonment is the encouragement, or should I say, the
the boldness that it has given others to preach the gospel. So as Paul himself is suffering for the cause of Jesus, other men who are preaching the gospel, they too are now becoming emboldened to preach as well. So there's been, as we see here, a dual benefit to Paul's imprisonment. The gospel has reached the Praetorian Guard and those in that area, those uh, 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 surrounding this particular thing about Paul's imprisonment and others who have been preaching the gospel. And notice there might be a sense of timidity, it seems to suggest, a timidity with them. They have cast this off and now they are emboldened to preach the gospel because of Paul's imprisonment. So we see a double benefit, okay? Uh, 15, some to be sure are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. Now, let me deal with that. I started to read a little bit further, but let me deal with that. So now, re remember how we talked about the latter thing when we ended uh, the first video concerning Paul speaking to the Philippians that they would be, as they stand before Christ, blameless and pure. And that word for purity dealt with the purity of their motives. Now we see that connection as Paul has talked is talking about here. The overall context of what he's talking about is his condition. He's letting the Philippians know how he is doing. But as he uh, continues to talk about that, the building on that second point, remember the first point? The gospel is now going to the Praetorian Guard. The second point, others are preaching the gospel. Others are preaching the gospel and they're preaching the gospel. How? Fearlessly. They have been emboldened because of Paul's imprisonment. Now, as he continues on, we're talking about what? The purity. That's what I'm trying to talk about. And even Paul here is stressing. He says, you got two kinds of people preaching the gospel. Some are preaching the gospel because they truly have a love of Christ and they love me and they want to further the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are emboldened to preach because they too want to further the gospel. They are partakers with me in the suffering of the gospel. Those are doing it sincerely. He says, then we have another group who is preaching the gospel with, with insincerity. That is, their motivations are not good. They are not pure. And thus we have, thus we see what? That thread that Paul is talking about. In a sense that he warned the Philippians earlier in the first part of this chapter against having what? impure motives. Now he is showing what? How certain men who are preaching the gospel have impure motives. And thus he says what? Some to be sure, verse number 15, are preaching from envy and strife. That is, they have a sense of jealousy 
Paul doesn't go into details as to what the reason or the cause for this is. He just simply says envy and strife, looking to do what? By in some manner or another, through their preaching of the gospel, it would cause hurt to Paul in his imprisonment. So we have one group who is preaching with a good motive, with pure hearts, wanting to further the gospel of Christ and also to identify with Paul. Verse number 16, identify with Paul. The latter do it out of love. So this is the group who is preaching the gospel with the right motivation as they desire to be along, to come alongside of the apostle in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then he goes to the other group with the impure heart. What? They do it out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motive. And that's the whole point of the thread that he's been talking about that I've been telling you guys about from the earlier teaching, the warning of Paul to the Philippians, be careful for what you, not just only what you do, but why you do it. Make certain that your motives are pure. And here now he talks about these particular preachers of the gospel, what their motives are pure. Why? Because it's saturated with selfish ambition. Their desire is not the love of Christ. Their desire is not the love of Paul or even the desire to be associated with Paul in the preaching of the gospel. This is not what they want. They do it for selfish reasons. So you have to always consider why you do what you do. But with respect to this thing about the these, the, they who preach the gospel, we even as preachers have to be careful. Why do you do what you do? Why do you say, why are you preaching? You guys know, and you have heard it so many times, and it is ever so true. Many preach the gospel to satisfy their egotistical desire to be praised by people. You know, some, when, when you're preaching, you're up in front of people, people are amening you and all oh my goodness and this and that. And some people do it for a gratification of the ego, trying to make themselves out to be something. And always, every time I think about that, I always remember what the apostle Paul said in the book of Galatians. I believe it's Galatians 6, when Paul said, for if a man think himself to be something, to be something, when what? In reality, he is nothing. He just deceived himself. The point is, none of us are nothing. We are simply, again, the teaching of the apostle Paul. We are simply these earthen vessels to the which God has deposited the treasure of his Holy Spirit who enables us to do these things. Thus, the person, the individual is nothing. But anyway, again, even building up, let me preach a little more about false motives. That is, what did Paul just say? Having selfish ambition. Many preach the gospel for gain, for money. I mean, and the number is, 
you have more crooked preachers than good preachers. And especially when you start dealing with this mess, this word of faith mess, because the very motive and even, okay, let me talk. Let me, let me just talk. The very motive from which they preach is not to tell people about their sins, not to make people aware of their conduct. Paul is going to talk about that at the end of the chapter. So I don't want to preach too much because I don't want the video to be too long. Not warning people about their sins and the consequences of their sins and the fact that it will be a judgment day but telling people about living their best lives now. That's the foolishness of Joel Osteen. Nothing in New Testament scriptures concentrates or put an emphasis on enjoying life now. What does the scripture say? Our lives are hidden with Christ and this, this our lives will not be revealed until Christ appears. The second coming of Christ. Jesus. That's the ultimate understanding of that. But the point that I'm stressing is you hear all of this preaching about what you can have, uh, uh, what you should, uh, about believing and receiving. And it's most times about material things and, and what people call blessings. Again, most times about material things. And when you read the text of scripture, the New Testament gospel is rarely ever, if hardly ever about receiving material things. In the back of my mind, even now, I can hear Jesus warning about what you treasure, what you call important, because whatever you treasure, Jesus says, your heart will be there. So you need to be careful. Do you treasure the things in heaven or do you treasure the things on the earth? And I can hear John say what? Do not love the world. Not only don't love the world, but what? Even the things that are in the world. But what do we have today? So many preachers so much preaching about attaining things in the world, getting things, getting the favor of men, blah, 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 blah. And all of it is about the desires of the flesh. And the reason is because this, such preachers, this is what they desire for themselves. And thus they preach the gospel of themselves. Why? They desire the things in this world and thus they also try to influence blind people and sometimes immature sheep, that is saints of God, true saved people who really don't know any better. They try to influence them from this same motivation, the desires of the flesh, the desire to accumulate things in this world. And one more time before we get back into the text, and I can hear my Lord Jesus saying, and what does it profit you if you gain not just a lot of things, but the whole world and then have to stand before God? What did that profit you? Okay, enough of that. Going back to the exegesis of the text. So Paul has set forward two types of preachers. Those who love Paul and want to be affiliated with Paul 
in the sincere preaching of the gospel of Christ. And then the other group who does not like Paul, they are jealous and envious of Paul and are trying to harm Paul in some way through their preaching of the gospel. But ultimately, their motivation for the preaching is selfish ambition. Okay, now let's continue on. What does Paul think about the preaching of the gospel? Because remember, we got two groups, one sincerely and then the other insincerely. What does Paul think about that? And thus he answers the question with the re remainder of this particular section. What then? Only in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Okay, and I'm going to stop there. As a matter of fact, I may not even do verse number 19. Let me just do verses number eight, verse number 18. Paul's response is that, okay, I don't care whether they have the right motive or even they have the wrong motive. I don't care. As long as they are preaching the truth of the gospel, that's all I care about. And thus I am, I, I rejoice, I am rejoicing, and even I will rejoice. Now, what we do have to understand is this now. We understand is this, because I, me, I have myself been just preaching to you guys about the false preachers that we have today, namely these false prosperity preachers. That's not what Paul is saying here. What Paul is actually saying here is this. Paul is saying, I am rejoicing that they are preaching the true gospel, the true gospel. So the point being, those who love Paul with hearts of sincerity, of course, they are preaching the true gospel. And those who don't love Paul and are preaching for wrong reasons, those selfish ambitions, impure motivations. But even though they are preaching for the wrong reason, they are still preaching the true gospel. Paul is not saying, like he said in the book of Galatians, hetero gospel, that is another gospel, a different gospel. That's not what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying the problem is not with the gospel that they are preaching. The problem is with their motives. Their motives are not pure. That's the problem, not the gospel itself, not the context of the gospel. You see, the reason why I want to draw this sharp distinction is because I was just me. I was giving you a personal example about false preachers today preaching a false gospel. Preaching what, guys? A false gospel, this gospel of prosperity and all of this, uh, uh, name it and claim it and all of the rest of this garbage. That's a false gospel. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ according to scripture, okay? So therefore, they and their gospel is to be rejected. You see what I'm saying? These preachers today with this prosperity foolishness, they as well as their gospel 
is to be rejected. But what Paul is saying in the text is the motives of the preachers of his day was wrong. Jesus will judge them. But the context of the gospel that they were preaching was right. So therefore, since the gospel that they're preaching is right, so you got two groups, the sincere group preaching the right gospel, the insincere group still preaching the right gospel. So what did Paul say? I'm going to praise the Lord. Why? Because the gospel, the truth of the gospel, the right gospel is still being preached and thus I will rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. Okay, then verses 19 and 20. Now let's finish this little section here. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. Okay, so now we're starting to ease into another little section of thought. Through your prayers and the provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, according to to my earnest expectation and hope, I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Okay, so now he continues the thought uh, 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 and, and notice that that feel, the feel of uh, of that being bold for Christ Jesus, right? Because notice Paul says what? Because of his imprisonment, others have been made what? Bold to preach the gospel of Jesus. And what is Paul saying? And he too will remain what? Bold in his continuance in preaching the gospel of Jesus. But verse 19, so he says, and, and thus he's gonna develop this even more so. This will turn out for my deliverance. And the word that is used here for deliverance is soterion. That's the common word that is often translated as salvation, salvation. But Paul is not talking about spiritual salvation. That is to be saved or not uh, a belief in Jesus Christ that saves you from uh, damnation. That's not what Paul is talking about. He's not using that word in this sense here, but the translation of it is, is good. Deliverance, deliverance, but the deliverance that he's talking about, notice, let me, let me slow it down. Through their prayers and the provision of Christ Jesus, by you praying for me and that which Jesus equips me that which Jesus gives me to equips me in their prayers and also what? The provision, the equipping of Jesus to Paul. He equips Paul for to face deliverance. Their prayers, the equipping of Jesus, of Paul to face deliverance. That deliverance of Paul is unknown. And what do we mean by the deliverance? That's why verse number 20 helps us out. The earnest expectation and hope of Paul. What? That he that Jesus will be exalted in his body by life or by death. Okay, let me put this together a little bit better. The prayers of the saints, 
the provision, the equipping by Jesus that Paul is enabled and ready to face a form of deliverance. So that means, okay, what do you mean by deliverance? So that's the question you'll be asking yourself. What? He says that now I'm not about to bat down. I'm not about to start preaching Christ with all boldness. Just like I preached Jesus in the past, I will continue to preach Jesus in the future with all boldness. Why? So that whether by life or by death, I'll face whatever deliverance God has in store for me. You see it now? So the deliverance that Paul is speaking about, and he's going to expand on that and it'll become even clearer. It's unknown that deliverance, whether delivered unto death, delivered unto death, or delivered unto life. That is, he delivered unto death. Ultimately, Paul will be judged and executed by Rome. Or ultimately, Paul will finally be free from his Roman imprisonment. Now do you see the meaning of deliverance? Free, delivered, whether by life or by death. All right? Set free by death through execution. Set free by life of his Roman imprisonment. But the point that Paul is trying to make is he is not going to cower down in his preaching of the gospel. Okay, so now let's continue on with this final section. I think it should move a little bit quicker and, and see even so how Paul is expanding that idea, whether by life or by death and that sense of what? Deliverance. That's what he's going to expand. Deliverance, life or death. 21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose, but I am hard pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Okay, so let's stop because we don't want to go too far. Even though all of this tightly is tightly con context with the same thought. It's tight context here. But so for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. So he lays forth a foundational statement for us. To live is Christ, to continue on in this life, to continue on in this life is to continue in the work of Christ. That's why he continues to say, if I am to live on in the flesh, verse 22, this will mean what? Fruitful labor for me. That's what he means. To live is Christ. If I live, if I continue to live and I'm set, uh, set free from prison, I am going to continue to preach the gospel. And as I continue to preach the gospel, this will result, I know, with more people coming to Christ, more people being saved. And this is what he calls fruitful labor. And thus, 
To live is to continue in my service to Jesus in preaching the gospel. Then he says, to die is to gain. That is, this becomes a personal gain. The work for Jesus is now over. Why? Paul says, I'm dead. But what? There is now a personal benefit for me. For me. Why? For to die is to be with Christ Jesus. And this is far better for me. Notice something too. Let me get into verse number 23. Dealing with to die is to gain. Having a desire to depart and be with Christ. Okay, the obvious statement. Let me do, do that now. Thus, we also see here in the scripture, what happens to a Christian immediately at the point of death? You go to be with Christ. And what does the scriptures teach? Where is Jesus? Jesus has ascended into heaven to the right hand of the Father. Jesus is in heaven. Thus, to die is to be with Christ immediately at the point of death. All Christians, as Paul is speaking for himself, go to heaven to be with Christ and they go in spirit alone. The body is on earth wherever it is, but the spirit and soul of the individual goes to be with Christ. All right. Now let's get into the greater part of the text. The desire of Paul is to, is to be with Christ. Notice what I just said. His desire is to depart, die, and be with Christ. And that desire of Paul dying, being with Christ, be, becomes a gain to Paul. Now, why am I emphasizing this? Because we go to, this is about to relate to a strong theme in the book of Philippians. Consider others more than yourselves. Consider the needs of others greater than the need of yourself. Put others before yourself. Because notice the idea. Paul speaks in the sense of having in a sense, uh, the ability to choose, to choose whether to live or to die. And we know ultimately it's not Paul's choice to choose whether to live or die. It's that Jesus will make that determination. But what Paul is talking about is his desire. He's stuck. It's like he's stuck. He's hard pressed whether to live and continue on working and gaining what? fruitful labor for Jesus or to die. And what happens at Paul's death? Paul will be personally benefited. And what did Paul say at the end of verse number 23? His death is far better. In other words, it's better for me to go ahead and die and to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. And I don't think it's necessary for me to really talk about that. What you think is better? To be on earth uh, harassed by the Jews all the time and, and condemned by the Gentiles. Even now, Paul is in prison to be beaten, to be shipwrecked. Remember, Paul talked about that in 2 Corinthians. And all of the sufferings that Paul is going through or to be in the presence 
of the resurrected Lord of glory, to be in heaven itself, seeing things that the human eye has never seen. What do you think is far better? So if Paul acted in the sense of what's best for him, if Paul was thinking in the sense of what's best for him, he would say what? Well, my decision, I'd rather die because it is so much better. That sets us for what is good here. Verse 24, yet to remain on in the flesh is necessary for your sake. Thus, we have that theme again. What? Okay, if I should live, remember all of the suffering, all of the persecution, this is what Paul will endure. But at the same time, in the sufferings in the flesh, there is also fruitful works. There is also the continued preaching of the gospel. There is also the strengthening of the Philippians, the continued teachings of the Philippians by Paul, the continued work with the Philippians, whether by letter or by his personally being there, being in the flesh, living on is better for the Philippians, not for Paul, but for them. Thus, the theme is set here. What? Paul himself is considering the needs of the Philippians more than what is better for him. What did he say was better for him? What is far much better? What is gain? Death. But what is better for the Philippians? Him to continue in life. Thus, Paul will say, he will continue to say, thus consider Paul and even in chapter two, as Paul is going to really expand on this from the personal example of Jesus himself, Consider Jesus again, consider others more than yourself. And right now, even though I'm teaching exegetically from the scriptures here, let me take a moment because as we do go through the scriptures to understand what they mean, never lose the practical sense. What is it saying to you right now? Pause for a minute. I want, I want you to just pause for a minute in this teaching and think about other things, namely, think about other people in your lives. Think about how you need to consider their needs above your own needs, whether it's a husband, a wife, another Christian believer, or whoever or whatever it might be, or whatever the situation might be. Notice what Paul is saying. The very nature of the Christian mindset is always to consider other people above yourself. Consider their needs greater than your own needs. And thus, and thus while I'm here, we may, we may, you may need to repent and you may need to kind of reassess how you're doing what you're doing and, and to reassess other people's needs and to put them in front of your needs. It's, it's so common to always think about me, 
myself, and I. You know, about you. Put yourself first. But let us have the mind of Christ. And here, in context, let us have the mindset of Paul. What was far better for him? Go to heaven and be with Jesus. But nevertheless, he was willing to what? Notice, guys, to suffer. And Paul is going to bring that part out about suffering at the very end. To suffer because what? If he continued on in this life, he knew suffering was ahead of him. But he was willing to endure that for the benefit of other people. You think about that. Okay, now let's go on to the text. Let's finish it out. Convinced of this, 25, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. Why? For your progress and your joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Let me stop there because there's some stuff I want to talk about in 27. But so he says what? Convinced of this. He is fully persuaded what? That the judgment of Christ, whether he should live or die, is that he will live. He is now convinced. So that's why we give the writing of the epistle of Philippians a later date than we do, uh, say for say, Ephesians, because in Ephesians, it was also a Roman imprisonment epistle, but he did not give any evidence on whether or not he would live or die. He just let them know that he was in prison. But here, uh, 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 he says he is convinced that he would be in the flesh. He would continue in the flesh. That is, one day he would be free from his Roman imprisonment. But the point is, it goes to uh, solidify that fact. What? He'll remain in life for their sakes. So God, Christ, is keeping him not simply, not, not giving Paul what is most beneficial for Paul, but keeping Paul on this earth so that he might continue his ministry. Why? Because it benefits the Philippians for their progress and their joy. And then he talks about what? So that their proud confidence may abound. So when they see him again, they can rejoice. The Lord has blessed Paul and the Lord has released Paul from his imprisonment and thus the Philippians and all of God's people will have joy. Okay, now let's get to verse number 27. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. Okay, so what does he say? He said, so whether or not I'm, I'm absent, I have been freed from prison, I'm gonna be free, okay? But whether or not I'm still imprisoned or have been set free, I want to hear a how of how you have been living. And notice when he says, and I got it highlighted for you guys in green, conduct yourselves. That's that word, paletueste, paletueste. And this means, when he says to conduct yourselves, 
The actual meaning of that word is to live as a citizen, to live as a citizen. And I like that word. Don't we want a hammer on it too much. But the point is, Paul says, whether I'm free or still in prison, I want to hear how you are living as a citizen of heaven, because that's what you are a citizen of heaven. And how should citizens of heaven live righteously? How should they live a holy manner in a lifestyle? Okay, that's why he says worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then another one of those themes we see in the book of Philippians, and that is the theme of unity, the unity that he desires the Philippians to have. So what does he say? Standing firm in what? One spirit, having what? One mind, striving together, together for the faith of the gospel. So he wants to hear about them having unity. I want a good report. I want to hear that you're living right, that you're living good lives, wholesome lives, righteous lives, because indeed, your citizens of heaven. And I also want to hear about how the church is doing, that you guys have one mind, you're unified in the faith, you have one spirit, and you're striving for the gospel of Jesus together as one body. I want to hear good things about you. And that's what he's saying there, okay? But now let's continue on and bring this section to a close. Again, it's always longer than I anticipate. For to you, 29. It has been granted, I like that, for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Okay, so notice he's been talking about what? He wants to hear how they've been living right as citizens of heaven and how they have unity. And then remember he said this, not being uh, uh, alarmed by those who are their opponents. Oh, oh, oh I, I skipped that part. So let me kind of touch on it there. As they themselves are saints of God in this world, okay? Like Paul, Paul has been experiencing uh, so much hostility from unbelievers. So he encourages them, kind of going back a little bit to verse 27, to live right. Don't abandon living right. You do that. Even though, like me, Paul, I'm experiencing all of this hostility from, from unbelievers, you too will experience great hostility from an unbelieving world. Okay? That's why he continues on in the, in the sense, verse 28, in no way alarmed by your opponents the unbelieving world. Why? Because as you stand as a sign, a sign in two ways, your living for Christ, believing in Christ is a sign unto them of their destruction. You are a different, a distinct group, a saved group who at the appearance of Jesus, you will experience ultimate salvation. And by ultimate salvation, I mean redemption in its fullness. 
the new body and all of that and all of the blessings. You're already saved, your salvation, okay? But that fullness of salvation does not come until the coming of Jesus himself. But also at the coming of Jesus, instead of them experiencing this salvation that you will experience, they will experience judgment and destruction. So your adherence to Christ Jesus is a dual sign, a sign of your salvation and a sign of their destruction. Now, with respect unto them, that is, to those who will be destroyed, to those who are your opposition, he continues on because it brings in the sense of suffering, suffering. These people make you suffer. The world, okay, a little preaching. The world is going to talk about you. The world is going to come against you. The world is going to do things to you to hurt you because you are believers, whether people on your job or people that you know or people in your family, they will do things because you are different, because you belong to Christ Jesus. Thus, you will suffer. And that's where he kind of, he's pushing his way to. But so 29, because notice he's been talking about two things, your salvation and your suffering. For to you, it has been granted for Christ's sake. Now, I like that. Okay, and I don't want to hammer it too much. For to you, it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him. Okay, but let me deal with it from the perspective of two count, two counters that Paul is giving. What has been granted for Christ's sake to believe in his name? And notice the word that is used for granted, ekariste, ekariste, that is that something that has been graciously given. This comes from the same root word of grace, that we get grace, that relates to salvation. So notice what has been graciously given brings in the same sense of what Paul has talked about in Ephesians 2 and 8. For by grace, you have been saved. That is, you are saved by grace. That's why he says what? It has been granted for Christ's sake. It has been granted for Christ's sake. Their salvation is not due to anything of themselves, anything that they have done, their salvation is due solely, completely for Christ's sake. Salvation by grace through faith alone. That's his point, okay? So this has been given to them, their salvation has been given to them for the sake of Christ. But not only not only, and that's Paul's emphatic point, not only has their salvation been given to them for the sake of Christ, but also their sufferings, their sufferings for his sake, the same suffering that Paul is experiencing, they too have been given this same suffering like Paul 
Okay? And so that's what he's trying to say. But the point is, so let me make it clear. And let me make a, a driving practical point. Not only is their salvation a gift of God, their salvation a gift of God, but also God has appointed, notice what I said, God has appointed suffering for them. So as Christ suffered, they too suffered. As it was appointed for Christ to suffer, it too has been appointed for them to suffer. So thus, as Christ has suffered, they will become what? Partakers of Christ in his sufferings. In the same way what Paul says, just like you see it to be right now in me, same thing is to be accomplished in you. So the, the point that I want, let me close it on this. We often rejoice, and I do too, we rejoice in our salvation, but we have so much dread and resistant to any idea, concept, or act of suffering, okay? But what you have to understand in this very text, that's the beauty of this text, the same God, the same God, who has appointed our salvation in Christ Jesus, he has also appointed suffering for Christ Jesus, suffering in this life. So don't, don't run away. Don't think it. Notice what Paul just said, not being alarmed. Notice, not being alarmed by the opposition, by your adversary. Let us not run away in mind or spirit from the idea of suffering, but let us take it in the same sense as we grab hold to our salvation, to the joy of our salvation, in the same sense that you grab hold of that let us also grab hold of the sense that I'm going to suffer in this life for Jesus. I'm going to suffer because of Jesus. I am going to suffer because I'm saved. And you know what? That's all right with me. Why? The same God that appointed my salvation, he also what? Let me just read it again. For to you, it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe, but what else has been granted, but also to suffer for his sake. So let us take this mindset, not running from the suffering. People are going to talk about you, ridicule you, treat you bad because you're saved and whatever. The world is going to absolutely reject you because that's the world and that's what the world does. But what did Paul say in the final section? Don't be alarmed by your adversaries. But what? In the same sense that Paul suffered, in the same sense that Jesus suffered, know that we also too will suffer. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to grab a hold to it. And, I'm, and, 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 and just like in the same sense, as Paul continued in his boldness 
to preach the gospel, even though the world opposed him, the enemies of the gospel opposed him. Many preached the gospel for the wrong reason and they were jealous of him and all of the bad stuff. And thus, I am going to follow in the footsteps of Paul. They, they may oppose me, they may hate me, and the world ain't gonna ever take my side, but I am not going to cower down with all boldness. I'm going to preach the gospel. And as far as the suffering is concerned, it's a part of the package. Thus, I'm not gonna live in this illusion that bad things are not supposed to happen to me. I'm never supposed to get sick. The stuff is, no, I have been appointed to suffer just like my Lord. But you know what? I'm gonna hold my head up and with all confidence, with all boldness, I'm gonna preach and teach the gospel. And thus, not only have I been testifying for myself, thus should be the mindset of all of God's people. Now, if this has been a blessing to you guys, I'm asking for your prayers and for your support. There's always a link in the description or there's that thank you button in the YouTube video that you can use to support this ministry. And also too, remember that YouTube, what is it, the like and subscribe, do that. It helps the gospel, like Paul says, he wants that gospel to go out. It helps the gospel of these teachings to go out to even more people. Thanks guys for joining me and join me as we continue later on as Paul will continue in chapter two to expand that idea of that teaching of what? Doing that which is better for other people. Let this mind being you consider what's better for other people. Serve them. Be humble of spirit. But enough of that. See you next time.